I know some of you have tried to register online and you got to the payment page and it was like blank or gray or you couldn't get in. We've gone ahead, Suzanne's gone ahead and talked to the, um, our communications department to get that fixed. Uh, so if you get a chance, you can, you can now register online and pay online if you need to. And again, this is mostly, this is almost entirely just for the food uh, that we have every week is uh, the purpose of, of that, to make sure we at least uh, help to cover those costs. I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. As Lon said, we're starting a new series this semester. This is something I've wanted to do for a really, really long time. And when we, when we did this series last year, last January, on biblical manhood, and it went well as we looked uh, expositionally in Scripture. So we were doing a topical series on a book series, but in that we looked and used the same format that we usually do on Amen, where we want to sink deep into God's Word. Um, it went well. You all responded well. I thought, you know, I really would love to do something on some of the great prayers of the Bible because uh, I think that's, it's key for us. In fact, I, I, um, I've realized in the last couple of decades, uh, 20 years ago or more, there was a greater commitment by God's people here in this country and in this city to prayer and a consistent uh, efforts in prayer. And over the last 20 years, I've seen that just kind of wane. Um, and as, as we talk about you all being the most important men in this city, we need to figure a way back. We need to figure a way back to the very thing that God has given us to actually impact and change the world. And I thought a way that might encourage us is to look at the people of God throughout Scripture and, and how they have prayed and when they have prayed and why they have prayed. And so we'll be looking at some of the great Old Testament prayers for the first uh, several weeks. Uh, and then in the middle of the semester, we're going to be looking at some of the prayers of Jesus. And then at the end of the semester, we're going to be looking at some of the prayers of the church um, after the ascension of Christ. But this morning, to start everything off, I wanted us to get a context um, for, our, for, our, um, for our own context, for our own position uh, before the Lord. And the place that I wanted to go was Joshua 5. I've been thinking, I've, I've titled it Battle Preparation. Um, and I imagine many of you <clears throat> were like me as we approached the uh, Christmas uh, weekend. And we knew the, the weather was coming. And we looked at the weather and we're like, wow, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't just like we're going to be, you know, um, you know the, the temperatures are going to be in the 20s. The temperatures are going to be in the one digits, you know, the that I woke up one morning and it was three degrees outside. Like, I don't think I've ever seen three degrees uh, in Memphis. And if I did, I just don't remember it. But as we've geared up for the weekend, and we had family in, I'm sure you had family in, I'm like in battle mode. I'm thinking, I'm thinking we just got to keep this house together. Like, I need the pipes uh, not to freeze. Um, I need to make, and then I'm thinking, oh, there's going to be power outages. I got to figure that. I didn't count on the water. I forgot about the water thing. I should have known that from 2021. Um, that there's going to be some water issues. And so I was just on high alert. You know, by the time when the snow hit, you know, I'm, I'm instantly, I'm putting, okay, put the truck in four-wheel drive, which made me feel kind of cool to do that because you don't really get to do that in Memphis very often. And, you know, there's only like this much snow, but okay, whatever, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm going in four-wheel drive, you know, and we're running all the faucets, everything. Sadly, <clears throat> we had lots of family in, uh, stay in our house. Um, one family member who remained nameless decided not, for, forgot to drip one faucet. So I remember waking up on Friday morning of Christmas weekend and going, oh no, that one faucet is frozen. 
right? So still in battle mode, I was figuring out every kind of heater I could stick underneath the sink. You know, I got hair dryer. I'm like, well, that's probably not going to work. I'm doing everything. I'm just got to, we've got to somehow loosen this thing up or it's going to burst. And then when I got the alert on Saturday morning, Christmas Eve, that, uh, that we, we had water problems, like we, had, we were in an area of the city where almost immediately we were told we had to boil water. Man, I went, I, I was up having my quiet time preparing for the Christmas Eve service, um, and I, I just dropped everything, threw in my jeans. I drove to Kroger, um, and I'm just like, I'm going to get some water. And uh, by the way, a, a tip on, on getting water. I didn't, I didn't realize this in 2021, but I, I knew this time. Don't go to the water aisle. Go to those big giant things near the front of the store that are like five-gallon drums of water that go on water coolers. You don't need the water cooler. Just grab three or four of those drums, and you're good to go for a while. So <clears throat> grab that. When I get back, Lynn goes, was anybody at the store? I'm like, yeah, just a lot of dads like me who were going straight for the water aisle. That was, that was who was there. I was prepared. I was going to be ready for whatever, whatever took place. And it did feel kind of like a, a battle to keep the house running and to keep the house okay. Brothers, there is a greater battle that we are in right now. And I think we forget about it. There's a reality is there's a battle going on spiritually that we are in that is much greater and the consequences are much more significant. And it's not, it's not a battle for the morality of the United States. Believe me, I would love, I would love, I would love if, if our laws and our systems and all that would get us to a place where we were more in line with Scripture I would love that, but that is not the ultimate battle that's taking place. The battle is not just for the issues of crime in this city, and that concerns me, and I know it concerns you. And <clears throat> I would love to see some transformation of our city in such a way where people do feel safe and we're not seeing the kind of things we've been seeing in the last couple of months. But brothers, that is not, that is not the ultimate battle. The real battle that's taking place that is, that is a reality, but we don't see it, is for the hearts and the minds and the souls of people, including you and me. There's a spiritual battle, and it's overwhelming because it's insidious, because it creeps into parts of our lives, because we watch it with our, our sons and our, and our grandsons, uh, our daughters, our granddaughters. We see it sneaking in. We see the challenges of, of how the evil one has twisted thinking and has drawn us off in different directions. And he's waging war and he's coming, he's coming hard. And that is the reality of the battle. And when we really see it, honestly, it feels overwhelming. I know you all have been in places in different times. Maybe you're there right now where whatever it is you're facing is way more than a busted pipe in a ceiling. And, and whether it's in your family or your own personal life or someone who's a dear friend, and it feels overwhelming. It feels like there's no answer. It feels like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to take action in this thing. And it seems like any strategy you and I would come up with would just put a small dent. Like it wouldn't really do anything. It would it would, it, it'd make us feel good for a, a little bit, but we're not sure it would actually accomplish anything. That's exactly how we find Joshua as he's walking around the walls of Jericho in the, in the text we're, gonna, we're about to read. He's scoping out the walls <clears throat> in the evening. And can you imagine this? The people of God have been in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they finally have crossed over the Jordan. Now they crossed over the Jordan like they crossed over the Red Sea. God parted the Jordan. And they walked through on dry land. And it was a reminder, hey, I'm with you. Now go take the land. But as they come to Jericho, and they can't, they can't go around Jericho. They can't leave Jericho. It's one of the key cities 
of, of that area. <clears throat> and the Amorites are up in there. Now they're fearful because of what they've seen God just do with the Jordan River. And they're fearful <clears throat> because of the word they've heard about the battles that have taken place before the Israelites people have gotten there. But they have fortifications. And this, this walled city of Jericho, this great walled city of Jericho, you know, no one except for maybe Joshua and Caleb have even ever seen anything like this. Because you remember that all the men who were <coughs> under the age, excuse me, over the age of 40 died in the wilderness. So they've been traveling along the wilderness. God's people, the, the, the army of Israel, has never seen a city like this. And it looks, it looks daunting. How in, the, how in the world are we going to get in? How in the world are we going to fight when they're, they're behind this, this great wall where they have fortifications, where they can challenge us? We're going to possibly be slaughtered. But as they get to that place, they, they, they cross the Jordan River. They go through in chapter, early part of chapter 5. They're recommitted. They commit themselves again. There's a recommittal service to the Lord and to the covenant. And then, <coughs> excuse me, they're celebrating the Passover. So they're reminding again of God's salvation for them. And now Jericho stands before them, this high-walled city. And Joshua, the night before, is walking around going, how are we going to take this? And he's looking as a great general would to, go to figure out, what am I going to do? And that's where we pick up here. By the way, my, my cough is not related to it, like COVID, flu, nothing. There's been some kind of scratchy thing that my doctor doesn't know what it is. <coughs> so don't feel bad for me. I feel okay. I'm just irritated by this cough. <clears throat> Let me begin reading uh, Joshua chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said, No, but I am commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of the men of war going around the city once. And you shall do so for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow trumpets. And when they make a long blast with, <clears throat> with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city, and let the armed man pass on before the ark of the Lord. Brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You see before us four things that I think we see in this passage regarding Joshua's battle preparation. What God had to prepare Joshua for battle. And, brothers, was beautiful like it always is with God's word. It's a preparation for us. As we think about this new year, 
as we think about even the series we're doing, how do we prepare ourselves? What does God want us to do in this? And the first is this, as we see there in Joshua uh, chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua and us, we need to be aware of God's presence. We need to be aware. We need to, to recognize. Uh, not aware like be afraid of it, but aware like that it's there. Like the reality of God's presence. Who is this man that, that, God, is it, is it, that Joshua meets? Is it an angel? Well, actually, you can see from the text the clues that help us understand that this man was a theophany. And a theophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Yahweh or of Christ. We're not sure if it's the second person of the Trinity or if it's just Yahweh himself, God. Um, but of course, Christ is God. Whatever. We're not sure. What we do see, though, this is not just an angel. This is God himself. And how do we know that? Uh, three clues that we have from the text. The first is this. Joshua worshipped him and he wasn't rebuked. If it had been an angel and Joshua had fallen down to worship him, the angel would have rebuked Joshua and said, you need to get up, you don't worship me. Joshua is not rebuked. The second thing is the statement by this commander of the army of the Lord that says, you need to take off your sandals, the place you're standing is holy ground. That doesn't happen with angels. That only happens like at the burning bush where we understand Okay, this is God speaking to Moses. So here we understand this is God speaking to Joshua. And then as the passage goes on, you know, the, the chapter breaks are not something that were in the original text. So uh, there's not necessarily a new scene between the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. And you'll notice that in verse 2 of chapter 6 it says, And the Lord, that's all capitals in our Bibles, which means it's Yahweh, and Yahweh said to Joshua. And so from those three clues we understand this is, this is a pre-incarnate appearance of, of Christ or of Yahweh that's standing there before Joshua as he goes around this evening to look at the walls of Jericho. And as I look at that, I think to myself, and I want us to remind all of us, are we aware, are we aware of the presence of God in our daily lives, that he is always there? And do we practice his presence over, over the Christmas break, my family and I talked about that. Not only that we're aware that God is always with us, but do we practice that? Do we actually, when we drive in our cars, when we're sitting at work, do we understand God is there? He is with us completely. I don't think Joshua was, was uh, thinking as he walked around the city that he was going to run into God. I think he knew God's watching over us. But I don't think Joshua was thinking, oh, God is here with me right now as I walk around this city, as I think about what the battle is before me. Now, I can understand how Joshua wouldn't understand that or wouldn't be, would be surprised by that. But, brothers, you and I should not be surprised by that. We should not be surprised. We, we should not... Uh, be surprised of the presence of God because Christ told us, and we know from our theology, we know from our Bibles, that, that God is with us, that the Holy Spirit actually indwells us. Turn in your Bibles to, to uh, John chapter 14. John chapter 14, remember this is part of the upper room discourse in John chapter 14. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the night before, uh, the night he is betrayed, the night before the uh, crucifixion. And in John chapter 14, and you guys are familiar with these verses, verses uh, 
15, it says, if you love me, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive but it, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not that God is just walking alongside you, brothers. It's that, the, that God is dwelling in you. We know from Corinthians, it says that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's no place you go without God himself being in you, your work, your car, wherever. He's there. But oftentimes, I think, I, this, I struggle with this, we're just not aware of God's presence. We're not reminding ourselves, no, God is with me in this moment. God is here with me right now at work. God is here with me in this car. God is here with me in this suffering. God is here with me in this struggle. God is here with me in this celebration. God is here with me at the Ole Miss game. God is here with me at the Tennessee game. I don't know if God goes to Tennessee games, but God is with me in all these places. And I need to be aware of that. If I'm really going to be prepared for the battle that's before me, I need to practice the presence of God. God is here with us. Second thing I think we see from this passage is that we need to be assured that the battle is the Lord's. We need to be assured constantly, assure ourselves, assure each other, the battle is the Lord's. I love this. I love this interaction between Joshua and the Lord. Joshua, like any of us, if we were good generals, good military men, we were scoping out the city, we come across a guy with a sword drawn, and Joshua right away says the right thing in his mind. Are you an Israelite or are you an Amorite? <laughs> are, you on, are you on our side or are you on their side? Because if you're on our side, whew, good. What are you doing out here? Maybe you can walk with me. If you're on their side, I mean, maybe Joshua had already drawn his sword when he said that. But let's go. Joshua's never going to back down from a fight. We see in Scripture, Joshua does not back down from a fight. Joshua was a great leader. Joshua was someone who was, who was unafraid. After God had told them in Joshua 1, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Lead God's people. Go for it. And even amidst Joshua's fear, he was willing to go for it. He was willing to fight. He's walking around the city by himself at night. This guy, this guy's a warrior. And so he's ready, he's ready to go. And he says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And I love God's answer. No. No. Some translations say neither. It's not actually neither. It's no. Basically, God begins with Joshua, you are asking the wrong question, man. You got the wrong question. No. And now as commander of the army of the Lord, I am here. Okay, what is this army? When, when God says, when the Lord says, as commander of the Lord's army, I am here. Does Joshua mean, excuse me, does the Lord mean I'm now the commander of the Israelite army? No. What's being said here is, is God saying, I'm a commander of my army. My army. Let me show you where, this, uh, where we can see this. Turn, I love this too. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. You can just go a few chapters over from Joshua through Judges 
and Ruth and Samuel, 2 Kings chapter 6. <clears throat> we pick up here an interaction between Elisha and uh, his own servant. Elisha chapter 6, verse 8. This is, this is one of my favorite passages as well. Elisha, uh, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, but the man of God sent word to the king, said, Be aware that you do not pass by this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent uh, to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used him to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So what's happening is Elisha saying to Israel, Don't go there. The king of Syria is there. And this happens several times. So the king of Syria is bothered by this because he's like, I got a traitor in my midst. So then he says this, verse 11. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Like, all right, one of you is a spy and I need to know who it is. Verse 12. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. In other words, man, Elisha seems to know what you say in private. Verse 13, And the king said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So <clears throat> the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came at night to surround the city. <clears throat> when the servant of Elisha, the servant of the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with him. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and the young man saw and beheld the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed, and the Lord said, "Please," and to the Lord, and he said, "Please strike these people with blindness." So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Elisha said to the Lord, "Hey, would you?" Would you please show him your army, God? <laughs> Would you open his eyes so he can see it? And, and God did it. And what the, what the man saw was horses and chariots of fire everywhere. The army of the Lord. What God is saying <clears throat> to Joshua in that moment is, hey, I've got this battle. I know, you, I know, I know Joshua, you've got, a, you've got an army. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not choosing sides here. I'm here. And I have an army. And I have a plan. And I'm ready to go. I've got this battle. I love this quote from one pastor who wrote about this. He says, God has not, in this moment, before Joshua, God has not come to take sides. He's come to take charge. And I would say that for all of us. God has not come to take sides in our lives. He's come to take charge of our life. He's not, he's not looking for Joshua to deploy him. He's not, God's not showing up saying, hey, Joshua, what would you like me to do? Hey, Joshua, how do you want to deploy me as your God? No, 
God is showing up to deploy Joshua. That's what's taking place. There's this great passage in Nehemiah chapter 4 that I absolutely love. Um, remember in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is sent by God to rebuild the city of Jerusalem after, after the Babylonian captivity. And as they're building the city, building the walls of the city, um, the people around are, are, are worried. They don't want the walls built. And so they're sending different raiding parties to attack the people as they're building the wall. And so the people are saying, what do we do? We don't have a wall. We're all spread out. And in, jo in Nehemiah chapter 4, Nehemiah says this. Hey, here's what you're going to do. Every one of you, you're going to have basically a, you know, a, a mortar trowel in one hand and a, and a bow or a spear in the other hand. And you're going to be making, you're going to be building the wall, but also have your weapon nearby. And then he said this. I know we're spread out, kind of defenseless. But when you hear the sound of the trumpet, so we'll, we'll have lookouts. And when we see people attacking, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, everyone gather there. And then he says this. Hear the sound of the trumpet, everyone gather there, and our God will fight for us. He doesn't say, gather there and we'll fight. He says, you gather there, and our God will fight for us. Brothers, if we're really going to be the men of God in this city and really, and really engage the battle, we need to understand, we need to be assured, the battle is the Lord, the battle is not ours. The battle is His. As the commander of the army of the Lord, he has now come. He's not choosing sides. He's taking charge. Be assured the battle is the Lord's. Thirdly, we see in this passage, we need to be submissive through worship. Be submissive through worship. I can't remember if I shared this story. If I did, it would have been years ago. When I was leaving, uh, when, I, when I received the call to come to Second Pres here in Memphis in, in 2001. Um, excuse me, that's even before this. When I was leaving uh, to go take a call in Greenville, South Carolina, I had been in Augusta, Georgia, at First Pres Augusta for seven and a half years. And I was going. The Lord had been gracious, had blessed our ministry there in youth ministry. I was going to be a youth pastor in Greenville, South Carolina. I was uh, a younger man at that time. I think I was 31 years old. And I was... Uh, uh, getting ready and excited about going there. We had staff devotions uh, a Monday, maybe the second to last Monday before I left. And Peter Letchford, pastor on the staff there who, who was educated in, in Cambridge, grew up uh, Cambridge uh, in England, was, had grew up in England, and at that point was 78 years old um, as a pastor there at Second Pres, one of our assistant pastors. He gave the devotion, and he gave it on this passage, this very passage. And then... As he got to the end of reading, right as he read it, he read it, he looked up and he looked at, he looked at me <laughs> and he said, what is the miracle of Jericho? And I just kind of looked back and I'm like, the wall's falling down. I didn't say anything. And then he looked at everybody and he said, what's the miracle of Jericho? What's the miracle of Jericho? And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure it's the walls falling down, but I feel like he's tricking us. I feel like there's a, there's a trick question. And finally, somebody said very sheepishly, sheepishly um, the wall's falling down. And I remember Dr. Peter Letchford said, oh, no, no. He said, that's nothing for God. That's nothing for God. God can drop walls, physical walls, anytime he wants. He said, that's not the real miracle of Jericho. 
And then he looked at me, directly at me, not like I imagined, he looked directly at me, and he said, no, the greatest miracle of Jericho is not that he got the walls to fall down, but that he got Joshua to fall down. And then he, looking straight at me, he said, Todd, God is more concerned with what he wants to do in you than what he wants to do through you. And of course, I've never forgotten that. See, the real miracle of Jericho, and I believe Dr. Letchford is right, is this moment here, not the walls, but that the great warrior Joshua was on his knees. There he is, submissive in worship. He is, he is not only on his knees submitting to, but he is worshiping. That's his response to coming face to face with God. That's what shapes Joshua for the battle. And brothers, as we move into 2023, if we're going to be shaped for the battle that's before us, we have to be submitted through worship. And certainly it, certainly it means daily worship, daily times when we sit without our phones, without anything else, with the word of God before us and maybe a journal. And we are submitting our time and everything to worship God in that moment. And certainly, brothers, it means that the Lord's day is exactly what that phrase says. It's the Lord's day, not our day. See, that's, that's the ultimate key in how worship shapes us, is that we're not taking control of that day. God has said, you know what? I'll go with you. <laughs> go ahead and do what you need to do on those other six days. But on this day, give it to me. Submit yourselves to me. That's what's taking place. When I've been a pastor, been a youth pastor from straight out of college, and then, you know, 10 years ago, they demoted me to regular pastor. And I've been doing this my whole life. So, of course, for my job, I have to be there. Do I always want to be here on Sunday mornings? Do I always want to be in the worship service? No. Lots of times I'm like, gosh, I would, I'd love to sleep in or I'm tired or you know what, I'm going to get there and there's going to be people who are frustrated about something that happened and they're going to come and talk to me and it's going to not be a fun day. And I mean, all these different things I can think of. Maybe, maybe half the time that I've walked into the sanctuary, my heart hasn't, hasn't really been right. So I get that. But though, though I've walked into that sanctuary, maybe half of the time, my whole life, half the time I've walked in with the wrong heart or the wrong mind, I feel like maybe on, on two hands I could count the times I walked out of that sanctuary and I haven't been changed or been impacted. It, it, it's, it shapes me. Submitting to God in worship shapes us for battle. There's something powerful about just saying, it's, it's not my time, it's yours. I surrender my time. It's the same thing when we give our offerings, brothers. I mean, God doesn't, God doesn't need our money. God, God, could, God could stir up resources however he wants. He really can. I, you and I have seen it. You and I have seen like it get stirred up and we're like, well, how did that happen? <laughs> how did this unbeliever all of a sudden give a million dollars to blank? Like what? It's because God's like, I can, I can do that. I can, I can knock down a Jericho wall. So what is it with with our offerings. It's submissive through worship. It's a reminder as I give that token, which, gosh, man, when I was young, I thought, wow, this is a lot. You know, I'd get like an allowance of 10 bucks. I'm like, I gotta give, giving $1? Like, that's like a big chunk. 
And I remember thinking to myself, man, it'll get easier when I'm older and I make more money. Wrong. <laughs> you get older, you're like, wow, this is a big chunk. This chunk could buy a car. This chunk could remodel my kitchen. This is a chunk. Is it because God's church is desperate for money? No. It's me submitting and saying, through that token, through that token gift to the Lord, it's a reminder that all of it's his. It's me submitting and saying, I take my hands off of it. I'm going to be submissive to you. This is an act of worship. Here, Joshua is being shaped through that submission in worship. And brothers, if we're going to be ready for this battle, we need to do the same thing. We need to be committed that every Sunday we're there. That that's the Lord's day. It's not our day. We just get ourselves there. That we participate in worship. There's this place in, I think it's James, that says to humbly accept the word of God planted in you. Just like you, there's some, there's some preachers and teachers I'm like, yes! This is great. I can't wait to hear them. And there's some that I'm like, mm. And I've realized a long time ago, Todd, that's just your arrogance. That's your arrogance. Because God's word tells you to humbly receive the word. If, if, if some guy is up there giving God's word, humble your heart, Todd, and receive the word of God that's being given to you. Um, again, it's submission. It's submissive through worship. James Montgomery Boyce, when he was writing about this particular passage, said this. I love this. He said, the point of this moment with Joshua. The point of the moment was not for Joshua to claim the allegiance of God for his cause, but rather for God to claim Joshua. The point of this moment outside the walls was not for Joshua to claim the allegiance of God for his cause, but rather for God to claim Joshua. The point of you and I in worship every morning and worship every Sunday is not for us to claim the allegiance of God for our cause. God, help me this week. I'm here. No. Rather, it's for God to claim our allegiance. That's why we're there, to be submissive through worship. And then finally, brothers, we see in chapter 6, the final issue of battle preparation is to be obedient to God's word, to be obedient to God's word. I'm sure you guys thought this like I did when even when you were a kid, if you grew up in the church and you maybe the first, whatever the first time was you read this passage, um, whether you were an adult or a kid, it's just the weirdest battle plan ever. It's just goofy, like straight up goofy. I mean, I've thought to myself, can you imagine what the, uh, the, the people in Jericho were thinking? The Amorites were like, what? What in the world? The first day they walk around, do that, and they're like, and then they're done for the day. And they're like, okay. And then do it again. Okay, that's weird. You know, by the fourth day, you're like, what? These guys have lost their minds. But then I also imagine if I had been in the army, I'd have been like, I think we've lost our minds. <laughs> I mean, I know this is, I'm going to be a good soldier. I'm going to do it. But this, this seems silly. I mean, can we not do what we just did in the Jordan River? Can we not put the ark in front of the door of Jericho and God will part the door? You know, like, can we, this, what are we doing? 
This seems really silly. This seems, this is nothing like the world would do. Nothing. But God said it, and Joshua did it. <laughs> Submissive in worship, aware, aware of his presence, assured that the battle was the Lord's. Joshua heard what God said, and then Joshua did what God said. Turn in your, your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You've got to see this. I don't want you to, I, I need you to see this, not just hear me. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's defending his ministry. He's just talking about, because uh, the Corinthians had a lot of issues. <laughs> and they had issues with Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this in verses 3 and 4. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What a fascinating thing. He says, We don't, we don't use the weapons of the world to battle these things. But actually, the weapons we have can destroy strongholds. The battle, the, the battle plan that Joshua was looking for was using weapons of the world. And he was thinking, you know, he was thinking, okay, we gotta, do we build some ramparts here? Do we, storm, you know, what, do we lay siege? How are we going to do this? Using battle plans maybe he had heard about. But God says, we're not going to do it that way. I've got, I've got spiritual power that can destroy strongholds, and I'm going to do it that way. Brothers, you realize we have that same instructions, instruction for us as we look at the crime in our city, as we look at um, where our country is, we look at things in our families, we look at, at um, prodigal sons and prodigal grandsons and as we think about that there's a temptation for all of us there's a temptation for me constantly for me to go ahead and use the weapons of this world to get things done I'm very pragmatic this, I love problem solving you throw a problem at me I get really excited I'm like alright let's figure this out and here's my tendency constantly even at 57 Constantly, it's like, okay, let's do this, 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 and then we're going to do this, 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 and this. And then I'll think, oh, yeah, I probably should have prayed about it. <laughs> I told you, my, my, my father, I, I, I love his faith because it's such a simple, clear, direct faith. He's, whatever God says, he's just going to do it. If God says prayer works, my dad's like, okay, well, let's do that. And, and he, he always wants us to pray about everything. It used to drive me crazy. I remember one time we were on this little getaway retreat with my, my sons were much younger and my brother was there and his son. And I, I don't know if Mark lost his keys, my brother, or I lost my keys. We we, I couldn't find the keys. So we're going around the house, the cabin we were staying, trying to find the keys. And I remember dad's like, I mean, I'm, I'm irritated, like thinking somebody has misplaced my keys or what. And my dad's like, hey, hey guys, let's come in here. Let's, let's, just, let's just pray about it. You know, gathers like this. I remember thinking to myself, Oh my goodness, come on, old man. <laughs> Pray about some keys. I, it, it, this has happened way more than I've... I mean, we found the keys like 30 seconds after we prayed the prayer. I mean, really, and I'm like, okay. Yes, we probably should have prayed about it. 
And I think it's some kind of magic trick. No, I think my father has been a man of prayer for decades. And he really believes the Lord will help him in any, any situation. And even when he goes through suffering and the answer of the Lord is, hey, wait. My dad has been shaped for battle to even be able to wait. But he's been shaped by this, knowing that the weapons of the world are not the way to go. But use the weapons of God. Let him decide the battle plan. And how does he decide the battle plan? It all begins with prayer. And that's why I'm so excited about this semester. God has given us this amazing gift. You, you and I can literally enter the throne room of heaven and talk to a heavenly father who has all power and who loves you dearly. And we can lay our requests before him. And this isn't, it's not just, when I talk about prayer, when you talk about, it's not just a one-time desperation. I mean, everybody prays when, you know, when the crap hits the fan, everyone prays. Atheists pray. You know, if you'd call the prayer meeting at that Monday night football game before the game started, maybe 15 guys go out there and kneel and pray. But a player drops from cardiac arrest and everybody is out there praying. And people on ESPN are saying, pray. It's not just that moment though. That's not what, we have the access to that every day, every second. A weapon that will take down strongholds. And as we go through this semester, I'm not wanting us to just to sharpen those moments of prayer. I desire that God work in me and work in you this intentional life of prayer. And it's going to start, it's going to start like Joshua, where we need to get on our knees and be shaped by the Lord. The commander of the Lord's army has now arrived. I'm not here, I'm not here. For you to deploy me, God is saying. I'm not here, God's not saying. I'm not here for you to deploy me to your cause. I'm here to deploy you to my cause. I'm here to claim you, your allegiance. And brothers, there is, there is joy and peace and power and hope and wisdom to be found on our knees daily building a life of prayer. That's what I'm excited about for this semester. Let me close us in prayer as we head out. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the encouragement that these men bring me. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement that we all receive as we gather together to sit under your word. Father, we want to be shaped by you. We want to learn submission to you. Um, Lord, this room is filled with warriors like Joshua. Quick we are to draw our swords and ready to battle. Lord, remind us again that you are here. Bring us to our knees, submissive in worship. Remind us again that the battles that exist for us today belong to you and not to us. Lord, shape us in obedience to respond and to wage war with your spiritual weapons that bring down divine strongholds, no matter how silly it looks to the world, Father. No matter how silly. May we look 
and fix our eyes on you. Lord, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks, brothers.